We are in Luke chapter 13, Steve, 22. I did four a couple of weeks ago, or a little bit of it anyway. Reg got his Bible open anyway. And Spill has. Got lots of Bibles open. Phones opened up. That's good, isn't it? Wow. So, where were we last week? Steve was preaching, and uh, last week we looked at the kingdom of God where Jesus used local flora and fauna as idioms to help us understand, in part anyway, the nature and expectations. Uh, within the kingdom of God. He used a mustard seed and he used yeast to say, think growth, think big, think differently, think supernaturally, and what God, what has already started, cannot be stopped. The story started cannot be stopped. The amazing kingdom of God, which we're, by through the church, through what Jesus has done for us, we are built into that, and we are inherently the kingdom of God. In a sense, the church is inherently the kingdom of God. Um, so there's a long way to go, and um, let's trust that we will, uh, as, a, as a church, you know, make that, that progress. Think growth, think big, think differently, think supernaturally, what as God has really started cannot be stopped. Then maybe we need to see the church beacon similarly like that. In a sense, we're still in the kingdom of God today. So um, if you like to turn to the passage we're reading today, uh, which is Luke 13 and the verses 22 to 35. Jesus went on his way through towns and villages teaching and journeying towards Jerusalem. And someone said to him, Lord, will those who are saved be few? So in a sense, Lot comes out of this simple question which was asked. It goes in different directions, if you like. It doesn't directly answer the question, but Jesus takes it in different directions in order that people may understand just a little bit more. So they said, Lord, will those who are saved be few? And he said to them, strive to enter through the narrow door. For many, I tell you, will seek to enter and will not be able. When once the master of the house has risen and shut the door, and you begin to stand outside and to knock at the door saying, Lord, open to us, then he will answer you. I do not know where you are from. And sadly, that phrase is repeated in different ways throughout the New Testament and comes across sometimes where it says, I never knew you, or I don't know you. You're not part of me. So that's, that's that, that, the, the biblical inference is there, is there are many who won't have that interaction and that salvation and that blessing through Jesus. I don't know where you come from. Verse 26, then, then you will begin to say, 
We ate and drank in your presence, and you taught in our streets. Assumption and presumption there. But he will say, I tell you, I do not know where you come from. They've got that again. Depart from me, all you workers of evil. In that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth when you see Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and all the prophets in the kingdom of God, but that you yourselves cast out. And people will come from east and west and from north and south and recline at table in the kingdom of God. And behold, some are last who will be first and some are first who will be last. At that very hour, some Pharisees came and said to him, Get away from here, Herod wants to kill you. And he said to them, Go and tell that fox, Behold, I cast out demons and perform cures today and tomorrow, and on the third day I finish my course. Nevertheless, I must go on my way today and tomorrow and the day following, for it cannot be that a prophet should perish away from Jerusalem. Oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, the city that kills the prophets and stones those who are sent to it. How often would I have gathered your children together as a hen gathers her brood under her wings and you were not willing. Behold, your house is forsaken on that basis. And I tell you, you will not see me until you say, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. I love those vibrant, excited church services. You can see many of them on television, people praising and worship, and there's nothing wrong with that at all. It's all part of the church, how we should be energetically moving towards vibrant praise and exception and excitement. But there is another side of the gospel which is both somber and provoking and so very, very necessary because it's the difference between life and death. I think we know ourselves as a gospel church, a church that actually majors very much on the coming of Jesus and why he came and what he does for us through his death on the cross. And we want to hold on to that. We want to be a church. And that once someone said once, churches should preach the gospel whether there are people who need it or not. Because you keep that message, the Holy Spirit will bring people in to hear that message. And so the whole dynamic of the message of the gospel where we find salvation through Jesus Christ is a dynamic we hold on to, it's a truth we hold on to, and it's one we must not move away from. Someone may come in here this morning and find life. Someone may come in here this morning that's never heard that Jesus loves them. Someone may come in here who wants healing. Like that woman we read about a couple of weeks ago, 18 years. Jesus changed the whole scene. So this morning, how are we going to look at this passage this morning? 
I would look at it in three ways. Just to explore, one of the great dynamics in which the kingdom of God happens is through personal commitment to Jesus and ongoing responsibility. Jesus is at the heart of this, and it cannot happen without him. In the section this morning, I want to look at it in three ways. The voice and what it says. The door, where is it? And the hen, what is the significance of the hen? I've got three of them at home. And um, the, well, the significance for me is that they actually lay eggs, but two of them aren't doing very well at the moment. But uh, why Jesus uses, he's using flora and fauna just to bring out truths which people need to understand and to hear. We live in that sort of age when uh, there's a lot of mind-bending going on. Politicians will do it, won't they? Images and voices we see in adverts are mind-bending. They're trying to direct us away from something, or else they're trying to direct us to how awful we are and how helpful the products are that we can buy. They're trying to mind-bend us away from something and towards something else. It's quite easy to persuade many people to do something they hadn't intended to do. Sadly and often with harmful consequences, the phone will go, and I've got a very good investment for you, and someone is persuaded to part with their money. These mind-bending operations which, are, which we go through in life, we live in that sort of age of scams and misinformation. We live in an age with limited access, and people use that take advantage of things we don't know and try to tell us something we should know. So we live in that age, isn't it? It's a mind-bending age. On the other hand, our own cherished ideas and mindset can construct an inner voice which can prevent us from living out new experiences, can prevent us living a fuller life, can prevent us experiencing other beneficial products for health, enjoyment, and real economy. That inner voice which tells us, you don't need to do that, you don't even want to do that, and what's it going to do for you? That inner voice, the voice, how important it is in life as we listen to different kinds of voices coming from all sorts of places, most importantly, that voice which is within us, our own voice. The crunch here is what or who do I trust? What or who do I trust? I went to shop this week and I was the only one in the shop and um, I was after a few slices of ham. We got fed up with the thick slices of very expensive ham in Sainsbury's that we went out and sought someone who slices it off nice and thinly and it's very, very tasty. And I was the only one in the shop, but I was being watched. <laughs> no one trusted me, they are quite right too. I mean, I'm quite up to lifting a bit and putting, no, no, no. Um, they were watching me. And there was I being served, and the little eyes going up like this. 
And then I went down there, and then one of the shop owners came down behind me. Then I looked up and I saw a multiplicity of cameras on the ceiling. And I thought, no one trusts me here. But it's a that's sort of it, isn't it? Who, who today do we trust? With our next prime minister, this is the, this is the thing, isn't it? Who do we trust? Who do we trust? And the voice is coming from every angle. This last week, interestingly, the next, uh, someone's been saying the next prime minister must pick up the torch of liberty. I'm diverging here a little bit. You'll get to it in a minute. And I'll read a bit. Last week, Westminster was a thoroughly thrilling place to be. Oh, dear. The atmosphere was electric. The temperature climbed, literally and metaphorically. Powerful voices, powerful voices demanded attention and demanded change. An impassioned call for a better way forward reverberated and built to a crescendo. The writer was saying, I'm not talking about the decline and fall of a prime minister. Something far more important was happening just around the corner from number 10. It was the voice for religious freedom within the inner sanctum of government. The freedom to place our faith in that which appears to us be the right thing to believe in, the religious freedom. A hard press. There's a very big voice in government for that at the moment. But that's another voice. But I thought to myself, this protest for religious freedom is what Jesus was actually about in this passage. When he said, strive to enter the narrow gate. Why did, they have to, why did those local Jewish people have to strive? because religion had actually imprisoned them to not believing outside of that. There was no freedom to move outside the Jewish way of life. And Jesus was coming to say, through me, I'm the way, look what I can do, for see the marvellous things I've done. People were stuck there. They're in a voice saying, we're safe here. And how do we place our trust in this man? Can we place our trust in this man? This was religious discrimination. The question said it, didn't it? Will only a few be saved? That was a current debate amongst the Jews. Well, it's only us that really follow the law. We're the only ones that will be saved. And really, that's only a few. Well, and as for the Gentiles, well, there's no hope. They're no hopers anyway. There was no freedom, no religious freedom to believe. And God wants to break that too. Sometimes we are bound by our own voice and by the influence of our past and sometimes by other religious experiences which actually bring us into not allowing us to move on. And God wants to move us on. That's why Jesus said, strive Strive to enter. Now, I can't wonder why Jesus said that. He was saying this, this, this door is not a material door. It's not a door you can find hanging on its hinges anywhere because it's a spiritual door. It's a door we go through by our conscience and by our belief and by our trust. It's a door. And Jesus said, strive to enter. 
for those local Jewish peoples. And this is the context that was very difficult for them to get near to Jesus or even to follow him as a true disciple. The word strive is this word that an athlete, or what describes an athlete who's intent on winning the prize. The hours of their day are taken up, striving for the goal, striving for the prize, trying to get there. Christianity, true discipleship won't happen around us. Being a Christian won't happen around us. It's that choice, it's that decision of my will to move on to Jesus and to accept him and trust him and to follow him in our life. That is the only thing, that is the door. In fact, Jesus said, he admitted and owned up. He said, I am the door, one of those big I am's of scripture. I am the door. By me, if any man enter, he will be saved. So they use this same word here. And it's not really explained what this salvation means in this passage. But we have to, we have to believe that salvation is a different life than the one we're having now. Salvation is finding that access to God and that acceptance by him. Salvation is knowing that my sins are all dealt with and they're forgiven. Salvation is knowing that I have a hope beyond the grave, that I have a life beyond that, not separation from God. Salvation is knowing I'm right with God. I think it was the Negro spirit that used to say, get right with God and do it now. That's the place of salvation, is getting right with God. And it won't happen around us. It takes a commitment to that and its cause. So the door is not a material door, it's a spiritual door. It is to the presence of God where individuals find acceptance through forgiveness and the imputed righteousness from Jesus. And what I mean by that is not a righteousness that we've earned, that, w- that we do, it's what we've gained from Jesus, his righteousness. God gives us that, his righteousness is placed on us. The door. I just want to ask I'm going to, everyone, have you actually gone through that door? Is your intent to find God and to know him through Jesus? That's that. Do you remember that? Do you know that? I'll just appeal. I don't assume that everyone knows. Because Jesus said, strive. Make the effort. And that's important for a little bit later on. So we've had the voice. It's a strong, powerful voice, isn't it? The voice of Jesus. In the Bible, we can find such words as called, shout, whisper, silence. And personal assault. They're all verbal idioms that Jesus uses to reach people. Sometimes he might whisper, sometimes he might call, sometimes he might shout. 
sometimes he might not say anything. But sometimes when he says nothing, we know what the answer is because we already know the silence. God appealing to humans. And then we come to the hen. Jesus is on his way to Jerusalem and he knows, he knows what an influence on the world that city has been. He knows what an influence on the world that city could have been. He knows that in that city was or should have been the answer for humanity. And he presses on to there. And he presses on to there in order that answer might be fulfilled. We read, O Jerusalem, Jerusalem, the city that kills the prophets and stones those who are sent to it. How often would I have gathered your children together as a hen gathers her brood under her wings? And you not, you were not willing. How often, how often, the voice is a very frequent and repeated voice from God to us. I think it was Barb who said that over her life, before she became a Christian, she realised that God was speaking to her. The voice. And I've heard other people say that. They look back on their life and they see little incidents in their life. They really got God was speaking then. Yeah, and he was speaking then, and he was speaking then. He was drawing us to himself. How often? In Hebrews, uh, we read, uh, in times past, God spoke by the prophets to our forefathers, but then these last days, he's speaking to us by his son. The voice has already been there. The voice that calls people to himself. The voice is always there that moves us on and draws us. The voice is always there speaking to us of eternal loss or gain. The voice is there. It's always out there. It's whether we, as Steve said earlier, it's whether we're listening, whether we're hearing. The voice is always there. How often, and as Jesus was speaking to his own countrymen, his own Jewish people, he was repeatedly going back to them and saying the same things. Trust me. Follow me. Love me. Serve me. Honour me. He was there, and the voice was there. How often? Many of you and many people sit and come many times into a church service, and they make no advance towards God, and then finally... They understand the voice speaking to them. Finally, they understand. I told this little story some time ago. I'll repeat it again. A man in Scotland, there were four in his family. Three were Christians and he wasn't. He was just sitting there waiting for the service to begin. And on the ceiling, there were four old pendant light drops. And there were three... Three lamps were alight and one was out. And suddenly they had this inner voice say to him, three in, one out. And he realised at that point that he was outside of God's purpose for him. Nicky Gumbel recently told of a, of a Chinese man who 
had gone to the funeral of his mother in London. And it was such a sad occasion for him. Now, walking through the graveyard, he found a bank card on the ground. And he picked it up and he looked at this bank card and he said, I know this guy. And so he looked for him, located him, found out where he is, told him he found his bank card, to which the guy was so thankful he found a bank card. And he said, well, can we meet up? And the guy to whom the bank card belonged, he said, yeah, we're going to church on Wednesday. Which this Chinese man said, I'm not going. I don't even know. I don't even want to go to church. I don't want to know anything about God. This man said to him, you're going to church Wednesday. So he took him to the Alpha course. And of course the man became a Christian. The voice of God drawing. The voice of God calling for our personal benefit. The voice is a very strong and powerful voice. How often I would have gathered... And so God is gathering people to himself within the context of his church, all part of the kingdom of God, making us a community, drawing us together in his own name and in his own power. How often I would have gathered you, how often I would have gathered you together. The whole purpose of the church that we're actually a gathering and that we actually uh, show that by gathering together as much as we can. We are together. I think our family, church is family, isn't it? And we are together. That's a great purpose of God, isn't it? He doesn't leave us where we are. He gathers us. And he gathers us together. And he puts us together as a marvellous unit of people, the church of the living God. And so we could go on. But what application is there for us this morning in this? And I just want to go back to that short statement that Jesus made. Strive, strive to enter. God is looking for people he can communicate with. That's why the voice is there. And it comes as a challenge, as a warning. It comes as a whisper, it comes as a call or a shout, whatever it may be. God is looking for those he can communicate. Is that why we're here this morning? God is looking for people he can communicate with and there's no better place to be. He will show us the riches of his grace. He will show us the wonder of the future. He will show us what we can become in Christ. He can show us our real identity when we come together as we gather in his name. It underscores the importance of the church and what we do with it and how we meet together. Strive to enter is the ongoing mandate for the believer, the disciple, the follower of Jesus. Because that idiom that you get in strive is the same, the same nuance that the writer to the Hebrews uses when he says, run the race which is set before you, looking unto Jesus, the author and the finisher of the fight. That agonizing training, that agonizing exercise, that determination, that intention, 
put into following Jesus will help you win the race to gain the prize. That's what we're called to. The believer, the Christian, is called to strive for the gospel. Strive. So that's the race which is set before us, strive to enter. We've taken apart an example from Paul, the apostle in the New Testament, and he said, I press on towards the mark for the high calling of God, which is in Jesus Christ. Are we pressing on? Are you letting your Christianity, you letting your faith just happen around you? Am I just letting my faith? There's a tendency, it's so easy here. It's so easy to let it happen around us without pressing on towards the mark for the high calling of God in Christ. When I go up in the morning, am I pressing on? As I go through the day at work or relaxation or whatever, am I pressing on? When I go to sleep at night, am I pressing on? My whole life, am I pressing on? Or are you just letting it happen around us? So Paul said, I press on towards the mark for the high calling of God in Jesus Christ. And he endorses that too for the people he's speaking to at another church when he said, work out your own salvation with a respect for it and how much you value it. Now I've interpreted that a little bit. Not quite the same words. It says, work out your salvation in fear and in trembling. What it means is I have a healthy respect for what God has done for me in my life, and I press into that. I move on into that. Work out your own salvation with a respect for it and showing and declaring how much I value it. We can do that to other people. We can do that as we will be worshipping in a moment, declaring how much we value what Jesus has done for us. Voice it out loud. Let us have a voice too, as well as the voice of the Holy Spirit. And lastly, Paul said, earnestly desire spiritual gifts. And I believe this is something as a church we really need to move on to. What spiritual gift do you want? What spiritual gift are you seeking? Maybe you're not seeking one at all. Maybe saying... I don't know about that. I'm maybe a bit fearful about that. But Paul said, earnestly, there's that word again, strive. Run at it like a race. Go after it. Seek it. Want it. Earnestly seek spiritual gifts. And might we do that? Maybe just as we worship later on, as we come, we come to the end of that, we... Uh, Steve's at the back there and Fred's there and other people are just willing to pray for you if you want to seek a spiritual gift this morning. Maybe you don't know what it is. Maybe you want God to show you what your gift is. And the Holy Spirit will deposit that gift to you for you to use for his glory and the blessing of the church. So Father, we do thank you and praise you the amazing gift of salvation, being right with you, knowing that you love us, knowing that you just want to put your arms around us and say, I want you. I want you. Thank you for your love for me. And help me to move on into all that you ever called me for.
help me to steer away from my own voice, which may be hindering me, and help me to hear your voice, which will help me in Jesus' name. See?